Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro. As always, I appreciate you tuning into the podcast. We've created a questionnaire to better understand you, the listener, and what it is that keeps you coming back to listen to the podcast. We want to know what's working for you and what you want more or possibly less of. Please take a few minutes to head over to bit.ly forward slash made visible podcast to fill this out. Again, it's bit.ly forward slash made visible podcast, and your support is greatly appreciated. So let's get into the guest today. Over the summer, I was in London with my best friend, and we were roaming the streets and stumbled upon Boundary Street. It's a row of compact, single-story shops. There was a cute nail salon, a barber, and other creative workshops, but I was mainly fascinated by the self-space. It's a modern therapy office. Without even going inside, because I think it was closed at the time, I instantly loved their branding, bright colors, motivational sayings, and a welcoming vibe. I did some research on it and was determined to have their founder, Jody Caress, on the podcast to talk about why she decided to make her therapy office visible when so often it's something people hide. So welcome, Jody. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Harper. Absolutely. So excited to chat with you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, Obviously, you live in London and what you do. Okay, yeah. So um, I'm a therapist. I've been a therapist for 15 years. And I uh, my kind of founding company is in education. So um, I provide therapeutic support to schools, to staff, pupils, and parents. And I've got 20 therapists that work across London. But my background is advertising and TV, and I've always been kind of interested in that sector and was getting quite a lot of requests for support in that area. Um, And so in February, I launched Self Space to kind of service a slightly different market with mental health support, really. I love that. So what led you to have an interest in therapy and becoming a therapist? So my primary training is as a drama and movement therapist, and I um, trained as an actress a long time ago and was really kind of acutely aware about, uh, I guess, the transformative aspect of um, role and how um, we can sometimes be really blocked from change by only understanding ourselves in one way. Um, So that was kind of my interest was that the kind of catharsis of the arts, really, I guess, and how they impacted that uh, positive impact of that on mental health. Love that. So tell us a little bit about what self space is and your journey to finding it. Um, So self-space, it feels really exciting. It feels like we're really kind of on the forefront of some change. So my curiosity really started with this idea about the kind of this, the sector, the kind of the worried well uh, is how I think of it. So it's it's like you and me. Um, It's how do we access mental health support when we are not feeling really, really unwell, but we know that we'd like to feel a little bit better. Um, And I was quite sort of distressed by the idea that the only place you could really seek support was from the doctor. 
and the doctor surgery was where you went when you felt really sick. And I didn't like the idea that aspiring for mental health and well-being was in that bracket. And so I was getting a lot of referrals from the creative industries, a lot of people asking for recommendations. And I was referring out all of the time to other therapists. And I kind of felt that access to good contemporary mental health support was a problem. Um, I thought the stigmatization of what it means to seek mental health and maintaining good mental health, there was kind of some blocks there. And so because of that, I I founded Self Space, which is servicing on the high street in a really kind of a contemporary way in a way that says that we're not ashamed of talking about how we feel and it's a club that we should all want to be part of so that was really how I kind of formed the idea. I love it seriously I said it in my intro but I walked by and was like wait what this is a therapy office I mean my therapist who I love so much is in this building and there's barely any signage on the door and you just you feel like you're going in and you're not supposed to say hi to anyone that's in there. It just feels a little icky. And I think that therapy is so important for people, whether you have some, you know, major trauma or whatever you're dealing with, or it's just every day wanting to have an outlet. I've talked a lot about therapy on the podcast with previous guests. And I think most people are in agreement that it's just so important and valuable And unfortunately, there's such a stigma attached to it. So what would you say makes the self-space different from any other practices? We've got a a different approach, which is come to us to maintain mental wellness is one. The other is that we're quite, um, whilst we're quite digital, the package is digital, we're the first provider on mind body which is a big you have it in the states in fact it's an american brand and it's for health and fitness bookings so we're the first mental health provider to be listed on there which means you can make your bookings with us in the same way you would book a yoga class or an exercise class Smart. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's exciting. It was kind of really important for us that we were there because it normalizes the idea of coming to talk to someone. Um, we've got our own app. So you download the app. You can come and see somebody within uh, an hour, which is quite different for the service. We're also really open to clients coming to see different practitioners. So we're all talk therapists, but You could come and see me for two sessions and then decide you wanted to go and see a man or you might want to go and see somebody else within the practice. And we don't use that as a point of analysis, which you might do in conventional therapy. We also don't stipulate that you have to come at the same time every week, which I think is quite restrictive to lots of people's lives, particularly in media and creative industries. Um, it seemed like that was a massive barrier to access for people was the commitment of eight o'clock every Wednesday evening, you know, halfway across London. So we're much more flexible. You can come from 7am all the way up to 9pm and you can come on the weekends. Um, You can come once and never come back. You can come as often as you want. So it's very much with the with the client so the power is with you whereas I think conventional models it's it's slightly different so we're trying to service I kind of you know move the industry forward a little bit I think is is really what we were trying to do 
Um, and it seems to be working really well because so many people that cross the threshold say, I'm so happy I found you. I've never been to therapy before, but I'm really excited about starting. So there's there's that feeling to it. I love that. I mean, I guess the thing that I question with this is I'm a big fan of consistency mm -hmm. and I'm also a big fan of flexibility. So I wonder when you say that people aren't required to commit for X amount of time and they're not required to be there at the same time each week, do you think that that makes them take it any less serious? I think it's... Um, it's a really interesting point, and it's one of the points that have kind of been raised in resistance. I think there is an element here which means that it's easier to not come. So whereas in conventional therapy, we've, you know, I've been in for many years, and I often think, God, I really don't want to go tonight. And I go because I have to. I'm kind of locked into that system. So here it becomes much easier for people to, to not attend. Um, if they don't want to. Um, and we um, don't necessarily bring that into the work unless we feel it's super appropriate. Um, consistency, I think, is also at the mercy of the, of the client in a way because they can come, they can book 20 sessions at 8am every Thursday if that's what they want. So the consistency is there to be had, but it doesn't have to work like that. Got it. I think that what's really important, in my opinion, is for people to feel like they have an outlet that they can regularly go to, which clearly you're making it accessible for them and they can make that last minute decision of something's going on in my life and I want to go there in an hour, which I don't think is really accessible in most therapy situations. So that's huge. Mm. I just wonder from a patient standpoint, are people coming back continuously and you mentioned that they're not seeing the same person necessarily every time. Is that working well? Well, actually, interestingly, um, so our retention rate is really, really high. Um, so there is a sense of people engaging in the process. And what we might do in the first session is if a client brings a particular theme or there's something they want to discuss, we're quite direct in advocating what we think will keep the client the safest. So we might say, look, in order for us to look at that properly, you're going to need to commit to at least eight sessions. How do you feel about that? So there is some container. So retention rate is high. People do come back. We are seeing kind of a trend in people coming four or five times and then not coming for a period and then re-engaging. There's also the freedom to change therapists if you want. What we're noticing in that is that might happen in the very first one or two sessions, but then clients tend to settle with a particular practitioner. And so even though there is freedom, there does tend to be a kind of continuation of the trends we might expect in conventional model of therapy. Right. That's great. I mean, I recently was trying to help a friend find a therapist mm. and referred her to someone who came from a referral and the person was charging like $450. Wow. And my friend was shocked mm -hmm. and basically said, I can't do this. And I think it made her who was really resistant towards therapy for many, many, many years go, I I'm not in like this is this is too hard to find somebody. And I think a barrier immediately went up of like therapy is expensive, inaccessible, and this isn't for me. And I had to do some coddling to say, 
hey, I think this is really valuable. Let's find you someone that's affordable. But -hmm. it's amazing how quickly someone can go into that mode of like, this doesn't work for me because Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel accessible anymore. I think that's really true. And I think keeping prices, so we're £68 for 50 minutes, which is what, I don't know what that is in dollars, maybe like $80 or something. But it felt really important that it felt like going to get a haircut in terms of the pricing. It wasn't, it wasn't um, cheap so that it felt throwaway. There's definitely a sense of needing to make a commitment. But it was a price that we felt was um, accessible for most people in this area. Wow, that's really, really reasonable. I'm stunned to hear that. Mm. And we do. We're one of the only places that do 30-minute sessions, um, and they're £44. And people tend to use those for a check-in. They tend to be quite practical, those sessions. So people coming in saying, look, I've got to have a really feels like a really challenging conversation this afternoon. I'm wondering if you can support with that or I just feel a bit low this morning. And they tend to be really used to kind of support people in the immediacy of whatever's happening in their lives. So cool. Really, I just think it's so brilliant. So does having a storefront change the types of clients that you receive? I think so, because I think people are quite attracted to self-space. So, you know, we have an expansion plan is that, you know, the, the idea for the brand is one on every major high street in the next five years. And I wanted to test out what people felt about coming in, where people could see them. What did it feel like? And people are super inquisitive. They come to the door a lot. They say, this place looks really cool. What are you doing? Oh, wow, I know somebody or I'd like to come. And I think it's really promoting dialogue about mental health in the right ways. That's really, I, I keep saying that's so cool because it's just fascinating that we're talking about therapy and that people are walking by the space as I did and going, wow, this is cool. I want in on this. So are you finding that most people that are coming to you are just walking by and finding the actual space? Is it referrals? Like, how are people getting to you? It feels like it's a real mixture of kind of of word of mouth. Social media feels very powerful for us. We haven't done any press or PR yet because I wanted to kind of really start before we did that. So everything's been through people that walk past, people that have seen our campaigns and kind of social media on a kind of really small scale. We also provide corporate bundles. So we work with a lot of the media and ad agencies and they buy hundreds of sessions for their employees. You know, a a big thing for me kind of coming from the creative industries is the idea that it is an incredibly stressful environment along with other industries. But the idea of having to generate creative ideas when we don't feel that great is a real kind of paradox, if you like. And so we developed relationships with some creative agencies, talked about what they thought their staff would need. And what we do is we offer corporate bundles. So um, a company to support their health and well-being uh, ethos or policy will buy uh, a number of sessions And then anybody working for the company can access the sessions. It's removed from their bundle and it's completely confidential to the company. So all the company will ever know is how many sessions that have been used in a month, not by whom. Got it. 
So, yeah, I mean, I guess here we have a lot of programs in the States and I assume similar in London that are either corporate wellness programs, but there's also a lot of coaches, executive coaches that are going into corporations. But I think it's interesting that it's therapists as opposed to coaches because it's a completely different modality and way of supporting people. And I think they're equally as important. Yeah, totally. And I think there's a, you know, sometimes coaching can be really connected to your progress in the workplace you know what's your kind of forward movement and um with therapy well particularly in the way that we work we're really interested in looking backwards as well as looking forward so we're really interested in the question of why and where are you at now in order to move forward and i think that coaches are excellent i'm also a coach i trained at the tavistock and I think there's a real place for it. But I also think sometimes in the in the why questioning, we need much more in-depth um, kind of psychological understanding to support the client. Absolutely. So let's t- talk a little bit about mental health. Why is it mm-hmm. important to make mental health as visible as possible, in your opinion? I mean, ultimately, you know, the brain, the biggest muscle in the body, um, it's not one that we exercise in this way very often. It's, it's, you know, we're very um, accustomed to going to the gym, to taking care of ourselves with um, green juices. But when it comes to sort of the question of how are you feeling, we're still quite shy of that. And it, it, in terms of success or reaching your potential, Uh, engaging in some type of mental health support I think is essential for the way we live and you know there really is that trend in kind of these quotes around you know looking after yourself and it feels like that needs to be taken off the page and put into actual practice Um, and I think that's where we need to be moving towards particularly in the UK we're quite behind the states I think in terms of that. Do you think that people are coming to the self space because it looks less scary than the general concept of what a therapy office is? Yes, I really, really do. Somebody just came in here and was like, oh, it feels like being in Urban Outfitters in here. (laughs) Which which wasn't quite what I was going for, but I really liked the idea that she felt like she'd just come into a high street store and there wasn't anything frightening about it. And in fact, she said, gosh, I don't, so it's not what I expected it to be. And I think that idea is really important. You know, there is a dirtiness around this idea of mental health for no real reason. And I don't think that lots of the establishments offering support are doing anything to change that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So what do you actually think is the most powerful stigma around therapy and mental health? I think it... Um, I think there's quite a lot of pride around the idea of what it means to ask for help. I think that we feel it culturally as some type of weakness, when in fact it's actually such a huge strength. Um, I think it's being contaminated with the widely used terms of depression and anxiety, which are incredibly real, but the scales of which are huge and probably live on in all of us. It's just how they present. And I think there's a sense of the idea that somehow if you are not in good mental health at a particular time, that you're somehow not functioning or not capable. And I I think that that's not right in all cases. Um, 
I also think that there's a sense of shame around it still. Um, we're not proud of talking about how we feel, and I think that's where we can really help. We can say, look, this is going to um, propel us forward in the same way learning does. Yeah, I had a guest on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago who has bipolar disorder and talked mm. about it as his superpower. He looked at it as a positive thing, and he wouldn't be who he was without this superpower. And I just thought it was so well reframed and thought about that was like, why look at this as a negative thing? He's a functioning guy running a business able to do stuff in life. And yeah, he deals with this stuff and he has managed it in the ways that he has. But I think there's such a horrible stigma around asking for help in all capacities. I mean, even as a business owner, I think that a lot of people I see clients coming to me to, to work with me that just feel like, oh, coming to you, does this mean that I'm a failure or that I'm not good mm. enough because I can't do this on my own? Mm. And how do you deal with that, Harper? Does it, um, is it about reframing it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I even mm. see in my, in my own business, you know, I'm four years into my business. I've hired a therapist. I've hired several coaches. But I recognize that some of those times that I've hired these different experts, it's me being in a maybe vulnerable place of, oh, I don't feel so good about the situation. I should probably get help. But if I ask for help, does that mean that, you know, I'm not capable of doing this on my own? And is that a bad thing? And it's not a mm -hmm. bad thing. And I think that we just have to remember, no matter what we're going through in our lives, whether it's an invisible illness, whether it's a business or career related stuff, how important it is to seek help because we can't, we can't do anything alone. It's really like, it's, it's hard to imagine someone entirely doing everything in the world by themselves. So true. And I also think, you know, the idea that we can really talk to friends and family about so many things, but I think there's an element of challenge to coaching and therapeutic work, which is incredibly useful for change and progression. And sometimes you need somebody outside to hold up a mirror and say, look, you're not seeing this part. And I know it's really hard and I know it's probably going to hurt, but we do need to look at that. And, and, and I think that's the kind of, um, you know, the magic of, of, of work in the therapy room. Really. I wrote a blog post about that concept because I've had people contact me looking to hire me as a business coach and basically come back to me saying, you know what, I had a good conversation with my friend and I think I'm all set. And number one, they saw it as a quick fix. And number two, the friend may be a phenomenal friend, but they're not an outsider and they have some skew, sort of skewed view of, you know, how to handle the situation. So I wrote a blog post mm -hmm. a few months ago about the concept to really help people recognize the value of hiring an outsider or getting an outsider's perspective. And it wasn't me pushing my business or saying I'm the right fit for everybody because I really know I'm not but really helping people identify the difference between a friend and a coach or therapist. Yeah, and I think that's so true. And I think it's so important. And, you know, we talk a lot in the practice about, you know, being on the knife edge of the work. And, you know, that knife edge just before change can be really quite uncomfortable, and really quite challenging for both of you. And, you know, that is really the point of, of, of the biggest growth. And I think, 
that you know that's the exciting creative part of the work it's not always going to be easy it's not always going to be fun and sometimes the last person you want to see is your therapist or your coach but actually it's where you need to be and I think I think it's quite exciting really even though it can be very difficult when I think about the consistency concept I think that I've had many conversations with people on and off the podcast about, you know, going each week. And even if you don't have some major thing to address, to still keep it up, because you never know what can happen in those sessions, where you're not running in there like, Oh, my God, I need to talk about XYZ. And you never know what can come up that may be groundbreaking or come out of nowhere that you didn't think you were going to address. And I think that that's a really important component. We talked a bit about the stigma concept. How can we change the concept of the stigma around therapy and mental health? I think it's quite a big one. I think it needs bigger cultural change. I think it needs to come from the ground up. So I think we need to be educating our children around talking about how they feel so that when our children or our children's children are adults, it's not a thing. It's just what's done Um, in the same way that I'd really like us not to be talking about women in business in the next 10 years and it just be people in business. And I think this idea that in order to move it forward, we just need to normalize it. It really needs to be like taking a wheatgrass shot or whatever you want to, however you want to look at it. And I think that's about exceptional practitioners I think it's about bringing practice into the this century. I think it's about us all talking in slightly different way about mental health. Absolutely. I'm nodding my head like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's so interesting that it's become so trendy to post that you're meditating, to post that you're at yoga, to post that you're at the gym, that you're taking a ginger shot or drinking X juice. <laughs> It's amazing how that's like a cool thing to do. Um, And I think you're totally right that by people just being honest about what they're going through, and you don't even have to get into the details of what you're talking about in therapy, but just saying you're going to it and owning it. But I think Mm -hmm. what you're doing really is taking a huge step in this direction because you're making it pretty. And unfortunately Mm -hmm. or fortunately, People like things that are pretty. I listened to a podcast a few months ago all about how restaurants are opening that are Instagrammable. And the only reason that people are going there is so that they can get the shot with this certain background or this, you know, unicorn latte or whatever it may be. And it doesn't mean it's delicious, but it's one of those situations where if it looks cool and it looks interesting, then people are in. But I think about a few years ago, I mean, my mom ran a holistic healthcare center when I was in high school, and it was way, way, way ahead of its time of people doing Reiki and yoga and acupuncture. And I I feel like I didn't even tell my friends that my mom did this because it was so out there, you know, 15 plus years ago. And now you can't go anywhere without hearing these words. Mm, so true. So it's, it's become, so true. it's become the norm. It's become the trend and it's become the cool thing to do. Now let's get therapy uh, on that same path. Exactly. And I think if we're all working for that kind of bigger goal, um, it's, 
you know, we're all kind of moving in the right direction. And I think you're right. I think, look, we need to make it accessibly kind of accessible and also pleasing and a place that we're proud to go. But also we need to have really good substance in the practice so that the rig is good, the practitioners are good and that the work is really, really um, valid so that we have the whole package and I'm really I'm really conscious that we do all of those things you know yeah for sure so you've only been open since February which I don't even think I realized which is incredible uh have you seen anyone catching on to make therapy more visible like you have I'm getting asked to go to a lot of meetings <laughs> and to talk about how did you start self space and what's the kind of founding feature so I, I'm very conscious. So we're at the moment looking for expansion and we're kind of in those talks and I'm super aware that other people are going to start doing it. And I'm really glad about that because I think that this is how we're going to get changed. When are you opening in New York? <laughs> it's on my hit list. I really hope so. And I want to be involved in some way. <laughs> Amazing. I would love that. Um, so what is your advice for people who are reluctant to seek out therapy? I would say, look, get yourself across the threshold. It, the, the most challenging part is making the first move. And I know that everybody says it, but once you have done the first part, gotten yourself into the room for the very first time and share how hard it was for you to get there, it feels so much better and so much more achievable. So I think stop playing around with that dance around, shall I, shan't I, I know I should, and just do it. Just bring the change. And I think that's really, really empowering as a starting place. Yeah, and I think what's amazing about the self-space is because you have a bunch of different therapists there, people can do mm. a little trial and error. As you said, do you want a man? Do you want a woman? Does this person mm. work for you? Maybe they don't. And I'm a huge advocate for, you know, give someone a few tries. And if it doesn't feel right and you don't feel like you're being truly honest, don't continue, but keep exploring because someone out there is the right fit for you. Exactly. And I also think allowing yourself the freedom to change, saying, look, I don't think this is working. I want to try somebody else is also a really important um, exchange. And um, I think, you know, I have a story of somebody who told me that they've been in therapy for two years. And was it normal that the therapist fell asleep 20 minutes into the session? Oh, and, I, no, no. and they stayed with the process because they thought that it was part of the process. And, you know, I think they've never spoken about it before. So if we start dialogue around talking about therapy, I think it will also enhance the practice uh, in the industry. I think it will help clients. And yeah. I think it's an exciting time. I love it. Well, I'm serious about you coming to New York. So <laughs> I expect to be one of the first phone calls when you make that happen. <laughs> I would love that. So how can people find you and the self space online? And for those who live in London, book a session. So um, in the first instance, download the Self Space app from this uh, from the app store. Um, you can find us on the Mind Body uh, portal under Self Space. We're in the heart of Shoreditch at the moment. Um, website is selfspace.com. We're on Instagram at the Self Space. Do follow us. We've got a really nice feed and a really nice following. And we're really open to talking as well. So drop us a line at hey at the Self Space. 
and we'll get back. Um, and we're really interested in answering questions and finding out what you think. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jody. This was such a great chat. Thank you, Harper. Good luck with what you're doing. I'm a massive advocate. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.